<laughs> All right. Welcome to 2020 Vision, baby. This is our political podcast. Yeah. Hosted exclusively by non-political experts who just are trying their best. Um, I'm Sky. I'm Avery. I'm, <laughs> I'm Esther. We're here because um, one of our sponsors, Gregory J. Wolf, has um, given us no choice. So let's just... We are, we are trapped in his basement. <laughs> I have an actual gun to my head. All right. Um, before we begin, I'd like to give a special thanks to our sponsor, Dunkin' Donuts. America runs on her. Dunkin' hot and iced coffee made just the way you like it. Order Different it. every time. Runs on Dunkin'. All right. Thank you for that, Madam Dunkin'. Thank you. Thank you, Dunkin' Donuts. Should so I guess we can just start with the... Uh, the president. Hey, Esther, you got any got any info on how that mess is going right now? Oh, yes, I have all the info. So as we know, Michigan went voted for Trump in 2016. Big T. But as of, as of right now, um, Biden is ahead in the polls. Most recently, um, 538 has Biden at 52% and Trump at 43.2. So looking like it might go blue, maybe a fluke. Maybe 2016 was a fluke. Um, so <laughs> fingers crossed. Just kidding. This is nonpartisan. <laughs> True. <laughs> so part of the reason that this is, is because over 2 million people in Michigan have already voted absentee and a record 2.5 million voted in the primary. So we're seeing huge spike in voter turnout already. Um, so that could be a reason that we're seeing Biden pull ahead. Um, maybe some people just didn't show up in 2016, didn't like either of the candidates, which we see a lot. So there's that. Um, Additionally, Trump is losing um, some supporters among less educated white voters, which is a huge percentage of his support. So um, he, has, he still has the support of about 54% of um, white voters without college degrees, um, but this is compared with 62% that exit polls showed in 2016. So, um, if those uneducated, uneducated <laughs> non-college educated white voters. This is not a roast. <laughs> this is just an observation. Oops. <laughs> um, go for Biden this time around. We could see um, a huge difference in the Michigan results. And so some deciding factors for this election in Michigan would most likely be the economy being a top issue, a top concern, um, kind of in part due to COVID and job loss, um, and also healthcare. Additionally, due to COVID concerns, um, cases rising, and the new Supreme Court appointment of Amy Coney Barrett. Um, 
So that's a brief overview of the presidential election in Michigan. Um, I'm gonna pass it over to our resident Michigan lover, Mr. Avery Vandenberg. Yeah, so I just wanna, I w let's discuss a little bit more about Trump in Michigan. Cause I think, first of all, we have, there's gonna be a lot of disclaimers in this podcast. Number one is that I'm not from Michigan. Um, just my family is. And so when we say that I'm the only one who likes Michigan in this group, not only is that true, it's also um, <laughs> ironic in multiple senses. But if we go back to, let's go back to Donald Trump for one second, because I think there's, I think that was a lot of really important information. And that, let's just break it down for one second, because 2016 was kind of a shit show. Like, let's be honest, agree or disagree. Fully agree. But I will say that it's probably um, a lot of it is that Hillary Clinton was so unliked amongst a lot of them that even though they might not be big Trump fans, they went ahead and went red anyway, just because they don't like Hillary. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think that Biden is probably a lot more favorable, especially in Michigan because of the labor unions. But mm -hmm. um, like, if we're going to talk about polling numbers, like if we're going to break down polling right now, like how many days out are we? Four or five? I don't know. I can't do that. <laughs> Doesn't matter but anymore. <laughs> Hillary Clinton was projected to win in Michigan in 2016. Do we think that's going to impact this? Like, let's talk about it. That's my concern, not even just with Michigan, but overall, because if you look, you know, nationally at the polling numbers, we're starting to feel confident about Biden, but we felt confident about Hillary in 2016. And I think another important thing to remember is that, like, I mean, Hillary won the popular vote, but she didn't end up winning office. And you can't say with certainty whether that will or won't happen this time around with Biden. Um, but I think that people who put too much trust in these polls are getting um, complacent, potentially thinking that for sure Biden's going to win. And especially in this kind of crazy time, they might be less apt to go out to vote anyway, thinking that their candidate that they prefer is secure. And that I think was also part of the problem in 2016. Just because if you think that they're gonna win why put in the effort if you're really not that concerned anyway to go out and do it? So that's that's kind of a, a concern of mine, especially because Democrats vote absentee and mail-in voting at higher rates than Republicans do. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's hard once the information starts to roll in to even know by election night probably how things are going to go because Republicans are voting in person, Democrats are voting by mail. So it's really, there's a lot of factors that could go into that right now. I agree. Also, I also think that in this five, and we all we all love five thirty eight, but five thirty eight predicted that Michigan will not have results on election night. They will not have all. They'll have because so many people are voting mail in absentee. Um, how much that's going to make a difference on election night? Like, do we see Trump declaring a preemptive victory? We don't know, but I think it'll depend on results from the actual turnout for people voting in person how large of a disparity there is in terms of results there. Like, is, is Biden just crushing it for people voting in person on election night? Is Trump crushing it? I mean, like, we'll just have to see. And then I think if it's close, oh, that makes me nervous because <laughs> then we have all these mail-in ballots to count. So, um, and also COVID, COVID's a big factor. Esther, do you want to like talk a little bit about COVID and how, how that could affect Trump in Michigan as an incumbent? You sort of touched on it, but. Just tell us about your feelings. 
Yeah, so um, as we know, COVID cases continue to rise on the daily, really, at this point. Um, Michigan is no exception. Cases are going up. Um, Additionally, Trump held a rally there recently, and that caused a spike in cases, too. Like, that can be directly correlated to Trump rallies. So I think that could maybe affect voters' perceptions of how he is handling the virus. Um, Also, something to note is that the governor of Michigan was, there was like an attempted kidnapping of her from a group of Trump supporters. So yeah, that's another crazy thing 2020 just decided to throw in there. (laughs) It was Um, as if we weren't going through enough already. Let's kidnap her. Yeah, seriously. Um, I remember reading that article and being so shook by how thought out the process was. And honestly, and it, it, the group of people that were, the, the fringe group that was planning on kidnapping her, like they were very pro-Trump supporters. I don't know how, I don't, they weren't associated with his campaign or anything, but staunch supporters. And it always shocked me when you see, read something like this and you like learn like, okay, they had a plan and like they had the machine guns ready and stuff. And it's like, I just feel like people would just, you know, maybe it's an impulse. I don't know. I just feel like people were just, if they were going to do it, they just go do it, you know? But then you remember like, uh, people be crazy. People are crazy. I think the thing is, is that even though Michigan went Trump in 2016, I think that at this point, because Michigan is so um, swayed by labor unions and just like blue collar workers as a major voting block of the population, COVID has such an impact on the situation right now. And they're top concern is likely getting jobs back, getting the economy back. And although that's something that Trump um, really pushes and pushed back then and he does now, Joe Biden also has really made an effort to target um, blue collar workers and like meeting with labor unions in Michigan directly. And I think that the message that Joe Biden has of being a force of unity um, and how voters in Michigan might perceive that compared to perceiving, for example, Trump um, continuously making remarks about the governor that then led to supporters of him trying to take matters into their own hands might make some voters feel that it is definitely time to have a new president in office who might do more in terms of bridging that divide that we've seen continue to grow. Agree. Well, should we, should we vote? This is a democracy. We're going to vote who wins for president in Michigan. No such thing as a tie. We've got three of us. No. Okay. Down the line. Esther, you go first. <laughs> um, I'm going to be optimistic and I'm going to say Biden's going to win. Optimistic in the sense that we are a nonpartisan group, but we all yes. do have personal strong feelings. <laughs> I'm also gonna. Uh, no, nope, sorry. Um, I just I feel so strongly. I'm just trying to interrupt. I think that Biden's going to win, but I don't like as a person to get my hopes up and feel too confident because I think that you just never know. It's not a direct democracy, anyway. So even if the polling data is fully correct and that Biden 
is at 52 and Trump's at 43 and that lasts through the actual election itself, we might see something happen like it did in 2016. But I think Biden's just a different candidate than Hillary was. He's much more palatable, especially for people who are more moderate. So I think that Biden's going to take it, at least in Michigan. I think I think so too. I I'm hard pressed to find reasons for him not to win at this point. Um, but I I my caveat to my answer is that mail-in voting and electoral college and like the combination of both of those things is just never a good sign um, in a close race like this. So I'm not gonna I'm gonna say I'm saying Biden. We're unanimous answer three for three. But I'm also going to as an egotistical person, claim a lack of surprise if Trump wins in Michigan. Agreed. Okay, should we agree. Senate? Yeah, let's talk about what's going on in the Michigan Senate, Avery. Uh, let's talk about it. So to, to, to preempt this conversation that we're transitioning to, I'd like to start off with a, a segment called Who the Fuck is Gary Peters? Yes, please. Because uh, uh, personally, as someone, and again, I'm such a fake Michigan citizen, Michigan. Yeah, Michigan's number one fan doesn't know Gary Peters. Right, right. go blue. Um, I, I barely knew Gary Peters' name. And it's like, if you look at Gary Peters, if you look at an image of him, you understand why. Like, this man is, he's just another white guy in the Senate. Um, and he doesn't, he hasn't sponsored or co-sponsored any really significant bills in the, in I, he hasn't he hasn't become a notable figure in Senate. Um so it's no surprise and he doesn't like the limelight in No, public. he's shy. He's he Gary's a little shy. He's a shy, he's a shy guy. <laughs> <laughs> he he doesn't like the spotlight. Um and so let's talk about his opponent, um, John James. He's he's kind of a cool cucumber. So he he's he was a big surprise to a lot of people, I think, that he ran. Um, and he's notable for a lot of reasons. One, he's a prominent African-American Republican in, in, in Michigan, and that is hard to come by in a very white state in general. Um, so there's a sense of representation there for a lot of African-American voters, I think, potentially. Um, he is, he's pretty, he's pretty uh, loyal to Trump in the sense that he, he falls along party lines pretty, pretty regularly, but he isn't afraid to distance himself, at least during his election cycle, which again, I think is a different story than when he's just walking the streets on a normal Saturday afternoon, but at least to to the news and to at his public appearances, he is willing to criticize Trump, which I think is you'd be hard pressed to come by for a lot of other um, Republican candidates in the 2020 cycle. So I think that's interesting too. Let's talk numbers. This week, Gary Peters is up 49%, but James is 41%, and that is a big surprise. Should we talk about that? I'm going to be oh, honest, yeah. despite not knowing who Gary Peters was, when I was just looking at their ads and just looking at the coverage, it seemed to me like James was going to take it away. I mean, his website is so professionally designed. He's put a lot of money and a lot of time into this. Yeah. And although Gary Peters, being an every man's man, doesn't like the limelight, not a normal politician, has worked for him in the past and in his area. There's something to be said for someone coming in and being kind of some young blood and you know kind of shifting things around i was surprised to see that much of a lead coming from peters at this point yeah i think it's also important to note that the gop has been funneling a lot of money yeah. into john james campaign um lots of advertising 
just insane amounts of money because um, the Republicans are in danger of losing the Senate majority. And this was at least at one point a race where they thought that they could pull ahead and win and beat Peters. So it's interesting to see Peters spike up in the polls. And that was a fair assessment, a fair assessment from the GOP to think that if they're going to try to get some more Republicans voted into office, that this would be a good race to put him in. So, I mean, good for Peters, I guess. I, it, it, this is how it plays out in my mind, is that John James is this, he's like the cool, cool new kid in town. I, I, when I picture him, I picture him in like a black leather jacket with just like the fire blazing behind him. Like he's, 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 he's tearing up the town a little bit. And then Gary Peters just reminds me a lot of Dennis Goldford. <laughs> yes. So, have you seen Gary Peters in his little leather jacket doing his motorcycle runs? He just oh, goes out on his motorcycle, and that's the only time that he ever really like. It seems like he lives in like a cave somewhere, and then he just comes out every so often to ride his motorcycle, probably to like some local diner to meet up with the homeboys, you know. So but I wrestle. <laughs> I rest my case because I also, in somewhere in the deep, crooked corners of my mind, I also can see Dennis Goldford riding a, a motorcycle <laughs> <laughs> through the Drake neighborhood. And so, and I think those are pretty, like, fair comparisons of the two candidates. Just John James, he was a newcomer, and that, that's always exciting. And Gary Peters, there's, he's, you know, pretty flavorless. There's not a lot, there's not a lot of substance to his candidacy, I don't think. But we also can see that his name identification is breaking at 39.1% favorable. So it's like, he's not, he's coming up. He's making progress. People still don't know who he is. Um, like 60% of Michiganders don't know who he is. But John James, his name identification is only at 33%. So it's like, this is a, this is a huge race. Like for Michigan, like U.S. Senate, this is a huge race. And the other U.S. Senator, um, Stabenow, she's like, she's been in, power for years and years and years she's been an incumbent multiple times so it feels like this should be a bigger deal than it is right now but things are just the vibes i get from this race are so chill like everything's just kind of laying into place like things are falling into place and then whatever happens happens kind of vibes which is yeah nobody's too excited nobody's too concerned Michigan's a huge state. Like, we've got Detroit. We've got, it's a big state. The U.S. Senate race should be a much bigger deal. And I feel like when we hear about other U.S. Senate races, like Mark, um, what, Mark Kelly, is that his name, in Arizona, um, like, other people, and, like, I just hear so much on, in, in our news cycle about other Senate candidates, and I, I never hear anything about Gary Peters. Like, my man, he's- You have to go digging to find Gary Peters. He would be hard-pressed. All right, are we going to vote? Let's vote. Oh man. Okay. 49 to 41 right now as of today. Okay. I think that you got to take into account the fact that normally you would be able to say that Peters would have this incumbency advantage, but does the incumbency advantage even count if people don't know your name? But I will say that I think that Gary Peters probably will win. And I think that it's because even though he doesn't seem that exciting, he's kind of unusual, at least to us, in terms of Senate races nationally. He really just kind of fits with the vibe and the interests of the area. 
And that kind of like grassroots organizing compared to all the money being funneled to James by the GOP, I feel like people trust Peters more. They think of him like them. And so I think that the Michigan voters, especially the kind of base that he appeals to, I think, you know, they'll turn out and they'll reelect Gary Peters. But I'm, don't quote me on it because, man, I don't know. <laughs> Again, we're not experts. We don't know anything. <laughs> Esther? This one is tricky for me. It's like a total toss-up in my mind. Even though Peters does have a substantial lead right now, I could definitely see James just taking it. Honestly, like, he's had a lot of momentum in his campaign, and I could I could definitely see, like, a surprise comeback from him. So The money helps. The money helps. Yeah, the money definitely helps. I think it really just depends on who's going to show up and vote. Um, yeah, total toss-up in my mind, but I guess to be different from Sky, I'm going to say James might, James might win it. Let's put some money on it, Esther. <laughs> you can bet, uh, bet a Dunkin' Donuts gift card. Thank oh, you. yeah, baby. Um, I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we're non-person. <laughs> I okay so here's here here are my feelings I'm I'm saying Gary Peters I'm and this is why I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it back to my Dennis Goldford analogy he is a constant and comforting and comforting Stratford he is a constant presence and I think that incumbency can mean it can advantage people in different ways I don't think in this case incumbency advantage for Peters's name recognition because at the end of the day not a lot of people know of him or see him doing a lot of things. But at the, also, when you see a ballot and you just barely know the name, and you barely say, hey, that's for later, there are a certain group of people who are just gonna vote for that person just because they recognize them. And then if you take into account party ID, all of these other different factors, um, I'm, I'm, I'm placing my money on my man, Gary Peters, because uh, I, I think he, I think for all the underdog that he surprisingly is, I think he can still take it home. Um, yeah, I'm 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 sticking with that. So two one, uh, we'll come back to this one in a couple of days, and vilify whoever was wrong. Well, we can't forget about, you know, the importance of labor unions in Michigan. If a labor union tells you to vote Gary Peters, my money's on voting for Gary Peters. You know, and I think like one more thing before we just move on from this whole Gary Peters thing <laughs> is that it's a matter of complacency. Because yeah. nobody's really talking about this race, nobody seems all that concerned about it besides the GOP from outside of the state funneling a lot of money into James. People just don't care enough. So if he's been there before, they might elect him again. But also, it is kind of tough when you think about a lot of people just look at a ballot, see their party affiliation listed, and just go with their party. So if you have a lot of like down-ballot, party-loyal voters that a Republican's turning out, then yeah, that might give James an advantage, but Agreed you can't forget it. about the importance of the labor unions. Gary Peters has them in his pocket for sure. Should we talk about the house, house race? Oh boy, all right, my time to shine. So resident Michigan expert Avery, <laughs> if I say anything, you know, contradictory to your opinions on the state. I'll correct you. <laughs> Feel free to let me know. 
But so third district house seat, pretty interesting. Wanted to talk about it just because it's a complete and total toss up. Like I think that no one can really make an educated guess on who's going to get it with any real realm of confidence. Um, so it's Democrat Hillary Shulton, Republican Peter Meyer. They're both newcomers, which is another interesting aspect. The would-be incumbent, Justin Amash, just decided he no longer wanted anything to do with it. All right, Never right. want to be a Republican anymore. Interestingly enough, he thinks that the Democratic and the Republican parties are toxic. So he became a libertarian and <laughs> officially confirmed that he was not going to run for re-election or really run for anything else for the time being. Um, but in the district, some insight about the district, it's pretty centered around Grand Rapids area, the only real major city that you would go to in this district besides there's just rural areas. Um, but District 3 is pretty solidly red. The GOP has a definite stronghold in there and they have for a while, which is even more surprising that this race is so tight. Um, not to go back into the presidency, but it is interesting to note that Biden has a small but still a lead in that area as well, which kind of suggests that there is more of an open door for um, the Democrats to take the seat. Um, but again, it's pretty tight, so who knows? Um, polling data <laughs> for this, yes, shows that they're tight along all of the polls, but one thing I think is kind of interesting is something that makes it harder to tell, I guess I'd say, is that you have polls coming from Democrats. So like the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee did an internal poll, released it, said that the Democratic candidate that Schulten was up by like 7%. But polls from the Republican side have Meyer up about 4 or 5%. They both polls had like a 5% margin of error. So it's just a lot of data coming from, I guess I'll just say like biased sources. So it makes it even more hard to tell who's doing what and where, um, if they're both just saying with confidence that their candidate is in the lead, because I think both parties know that it's really tight and really unpredictable. So in terms of what the deciding factors are going to end up being on election day, I think it's really just going to come down to voter turnout, like who shows up, because yeah, yeah. since it's so close, if there's people that are more inclined to vote Democrat that don't show up, you know, it's going to go to the Republican. And that brings it back to the idea of concerns over mail-in voting potentially having an impact. Because like I said, Republicans vote in person just more likely to do so. And Democrats are more likely to do mail-in or absentee ballots. So if we have issues with some people not getting, you know, their ballots in in time, if they don't vote in person, it's more likely going to be Democrats, which could give Meyer the advantage in that sense. Um, the district is also pretty white, which I think doesn't really tell us a whole lot about who's going to win just because, you know, the two candidates that we have. Um, and I think that it's also noteworthy that because of the district itself, that there are potentially um, more like less educated voters, just people without college degrees, people who are more middle to lower class, things like that which usually go more towards Republicans in rural areas like that. But the tightness of the race would suggest that this area might be opening a door to elect more Democrats, both voting for Biden and voting for Schulten. So I really can't say 
who I think is going to win. We can take it to a vote, but I will say that no matter what, none of us are going to have very educated guests. So I guess I'll just say that I would think that potentially Hillary Scholten might, might snatch it just because they're seemingly more accepting of Democrats this time around. Um, and I don't think that this is going to be representative of this district turning blue for an extended period of time. I think it's just for this election that we can say that. But like I said, it's, it's so close and so up in the air, depending on voter turnout and the types of voting that people are doing, it's too tight for me to make much of a strong estimate either way. <laughs> what do you guys think? I'm gonna say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand differently than you. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna say Meyer's gonna get this one and um, I'll explain myself. I think that this is a historically red district um historically republican candidates and and i don't i don't mean to sound like complacent i don't want to sound like hey controversy is not possible here i think this is going to be like an iowa district four or uh sorry northwest iowa whatever district that is i'm <laughs> i'm fake iowa i'm glad we don't have iowa's state this is going to be i think this is going to be a jd schulton situation like i think this is i think this is something where the Democratic candidate has come closer than they ever have before, and that's great. And I think that's important. We're a nonpartisan podcast. Um, but I also think that we have to look at the historical context of that district. It's consistently been read. Yes, we have a major city, but we have to consider we have to consider that the district is eighty five percent white. It's very rural, and I think that Michigan could, is very much set up to have a lot of big wins for the Democratic Party this election cycle. I think we might have two um, Democratic U.S. Senators. I think that a lot, there's like seven competitive House races. And I think that this one is a great example of just how tight all of them are. And so the Democratic Party is very set up here. And so I don't think, I think the reason why maybe they aren't channeling as much effort into this particular race is that there's a lot up for stake this election. Like the Democratic Party can afford to lose one. Um, and I think this might be, might be one of them again i'm not you know we no one really knows anything but and maybe i'm just doing this to to be different but i'm i'm going i'm going meyer man i think you've honestly convinced me but i'm sticking sticking to my democrat we'll see esther i think i'm gonna have to agree with avery go with meyer i think just like looking at the district that's just kind of what makes sense for that area um yeah, basically just agreeing with everything Avery said. Um, that one's just probably going to be red. It's always been red. Um, I'm I'm interested to see what's going to happen because it is such a toss-up. And it'll be, like, kind of historic if that district goes blue. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm feeling like it's going to stay red. Yeah, I think I'd be surprised if it was the Democrat. I just feel like what it comes down to isn't so much of who wins this race it's the fact that it's so close to begin with and i think that that's what's really worth talking about here since we know that we can't really be confident on how it's going to go we can say with certainty though that it's a really surprising and really big deal that in this area that has always been so staunchly republican that a democrat 
and a woman Democrat, big deal, um, is even like able to really get up there yeah. against yeah. a Republican like that. And I think that it's probably in part due to the fact that they're both newcomers and the previous seat holder was so disenchanted by the Republican Party after Trump um, that he left. I think that kind of discouraged some of the more committed, let's vote red Republicans in the area. And that's why we're seeing this close of a race up here. So it'll just, it'll just depend. I guess we'll find out soon enough, hopefully. Yeah. It's kind of the theme of this podcast. We'll, we'll see soon enough. 2020 vision. 2020. We'll see. Anyone have any, any final thoughts, anything they want to plug in the last final final moments of this podcast episode go to dunkin donuts <laughs> order the same thing every day for a week you'll get something new every day it'll be exciting it's like us trying to determine what's going to happen the house seat in the third district of michigan you don't know but you'll, you'll probably somebody will be happy either way so true so you can't make every that's the theme of dunkin donuts and this podcast you can't make everyone happy there, there are winners and losers. I think the winner is always Dunkin' Donuts in this case, and I think the loser is always Professor Wolf's winner. <laughs> and on that note, if we get a bad review on this podcast <laughs> on like Apple Music or whatever, we'll know who it's from. Our Dunkin' Donuts haters. True. All right. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Yeah. Next time. <laughs>